Hello and welcome to another episode of the Saxo Market Call. My name is Peter Gunray and I will do an episode on equities. And we're going to talk about three things today. So the first subject is industry concent- or index concentration, I should say. And, and here we specifically mean the S&P 500. We're going to talk about the cybersecurity industry. We had some important earnings yesterday, which are worth uh, reflecting on. And then... In the um, and then we're going to talk about return on invested capital, revenue growth, business, uh, and investing overall. Um, given the late Charlie Munger has passed away, rest in peace, uh, a phenomenal life. Uh, and uh, I'll touch a little bit on the influence influence he he has had on on me as an investor, but also certainly, most certainly on 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 Warren Buffett. And I'll translate that into uh, investment. But let's go back to the beginning. So the index concentration. I, I wrote a, an equity note this week, which you can find on analysis.saxo about index concentration in the S&P 500. So the, the generative AI rally this year has caused a significant increase in sentiment among the maker cap segment. So maker cap stocks are companies with a value uh, above $200 billion. They have risen phenomenally uh, phenomenal this year um basically taking the the index concentration as we call it and you can measure that by many different ways so something called the herfindel index which is some of all the squared uh, index weights um, you can also take it more simplistic you can take the 10 largest stocks and and sum up their uh, their um, their index weight combined index weight if you do that it's above 30 percent. it's the highest it has been since 1991 that's how long back we have data i saw I can't. I can't remember his name. I saw. Um, I saw an individual posting on on LinkedIn. Uh, it was data data going back to 1920 on um, on the U.S. equity market, the S&P 500. Obviously, it was nothing called S&P 500 back in the 1920s. So there's been a lot of backfilling of data to to come up with an S&P index back then. But the point was that if you took the 10 percent uh, the ten percent largest uh, stocks in the index in the U.S. equity market, and you sum the index weights in that market by their market value, we we are reaching concentrate uh, index concentration levels that we have, you know, basically the highest in in a hundred years. So you you might be wondering why why is that a problem? Well, first of all, it creates a lot of distortions. It cannot continue forever because it's it's predicated on the notion that a very narrow set of stocks will continue to outperform in terms of uh, profit generation and uh, and market share for, uh, for, for a much longer period. And there are something called competitive forces. We also know that generative AI has caused a, a hype cycle to occur. We uh, In the research note, I show how the S&P 500's total return index is uh, you know, divided by the S&P 500 equal weight total return index have reached levels we've not seen since 2020 during the pandemic when we had this massive inflow of new retail investors that uh, increased the valuation of, uh, of mega cap technology stocks. It is not a sustainable thing. And uh, our view is that investors should be fading this, should begin, you know, Taking profit in in in, in mega cap stocks and, and basically begin underweighting this, we think actually the the long tail of equities will actually begin to outperform. But I think a more even more important point, which are worth mentioning in this in this case, is that it also creates distortions for investors more broadly, but also policymakers. Because why the S and P five hundred is part of the leading the conference board leading index. Um, 
leading indicator index on the U.S. economy. I think it actually has a pretty high share there in the in the leading index, roughly around 20%. So that's one of the most important components. But if you have a very narrow set of companies and stocks representing that index, it distorts the leading indicators. It actually makes the leading indicators uh, better than they are. Also, if you look at the S&P 500, it's up more than 18% this year. If you take that at face value, you would think the, the economy is booming. The economy is not doing bad. It's just it's most certainly been a transition year. If you look at the Russell 2000, which captures a, a, a much broader part of the of the economy, at least in terms of numbers, you know, smaller companies, it's a different footprint. I know they are, they are, they the Russell 2000 companies are weaker financially. They also don't have the same access. They hit harder when interest rates go up. Yada yada. There's a lot of stories. So you shouldn't take the Russell 2000 either as a complete face value, but it's just telling a different story. Russell 2000 is flat for the year. So I think that, you know, the way U.S. equity market indices are behaving, it's creating a space for potential policy mistakes, but also just generally false signals to investors. So that's really something to to think about. Um, so I think the message on uh, uh, from uh, from the Sac- from Saxo Strats team is fade fade those gains that we have got in 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 mega caps uh, this year, and also because the S and P five hundred has been driven by three sectors predominantly so uh, communication services information technology and consumer discretionaries and that's where all the where you have all the technology companies and, and amazon etc the second the second topic we're going to discuss uh, is the cybersecurity industry so yesterday we had crowdstrike reporting earnings after the u.s market close we also had uh, splunk which is a it's a smaller player also reporting um their earnings and in in the case of CrowdStrike, they actually beat on their Q3, uh, the Q, uh, Q3 results. Um, actually, I'm just looking here. I think actually maybe the, the, our, our data on on Splunk was actually a little bit wrong here because it, they did actually not report. But nevertheless, let's focus on on, on CrowdStrike. So CrowdStrike is the fifth largest cybersecurity company in the world on revenue. They beat on both revenue growth and exp- uh, and earnings. And their guidance for Q4 earnings were above the current estimates, so they are really still making headwinds, are um, proving, uh, improving their profitability, uh, which is what the investors have been demanding of this company for quite some time. So they're delivering on that, and the uh, the fiscal year revenue was also looking pretty uh, pretty decent. So the the momentum and run up in the share price this year, which is more than you know, the stock price is up more than a hundred percent, is definitely supported by those numbers delivered by CrowdStrike yesterday. Uh, yesterday, it's um, the revenue growth rate for CrowdStrike came in at 35% year a year. This is a company that has delivered 37% annualized growth rate in its subscription business since Q1 2018. A phenomenal business and they are uh, you know they're actually a category leader in something that is called um, endpoint security. Um, they they do need to most likely transition slowly and get more exposure um to what is called the uh, SASE model, the SAS, uh, the SAGE model, not SAS like uh, software as a service, but SASE, which is a concept that is used in uh, in um, in cybersecurity. It's a different delivery model. It's a, uh, and in that delivery model, the two main companies that are sort of the category leaders there are Palo Alto Networks and and Cscaler. And Palo Alto Network is the is the largest 
cybersecurity company in the world. So this is a very uh, diverse set of uh, very diverse industry, different uh, delivery um, platforms, and also different services that they 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 offer the the corporate and the government sector. I want to highlight as well the the cybersecurity basket. We have this universe of different baskets. Uh, the cybersecurity basket is the second best performing basket this year. Um, it's up thirty eight percent. The revenue growth is 24%. And I'm, I think maybe I've highlighted that on the podcast before. Um, I think the cybersecurity industry is really attractive and interesting for several reasons. And one of them being exactly that they, you know, you have an entire industry delivering 24% growth over the past year in an economic slowdown and an impact from high interest rates, which have cut down corporate spending, IT spending in a lot of different areas but not cybersecurity. And I think it speaks volume to the fact that cybersecurity is a necessity if you want to run a company or a government today. It's not something you can cut away. Actually, quite the contrary, uh, if you or contrary, if you if you don't invest in this and you're hit by a cybersecurity attack, it can be extremely costly. And it's a top priority, according to uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers survey among CFOs uh, globally. So I really like the low correlation to the economic cycle, the high growth rate, and the improving profitability overall in the industry. And then one of the slides that we 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 highlight in our in our um, recent piece that we did, or the the equity note we did yesterday, which again you can find on analysis.sac. So we took this slide from Fortinet, which is the second largest cybersecurity company in the world on uh, on revenue. They have a slide in their investor deck called highly fragmented industry ready for consolidation. And that's also part of our you know long-term idea on the cybersecurity and why we're so positive on the industry is that it's a very fragmented industry, both in terms of revenue still, a lot of players, there's a lot of different technologies, there's a lot of different delivery platforms. It's a highly dynamic space. It constantly involves, you know, uh, Internet of Things, which is going to be a huge thing over the next 10 years, will create more vulnerabilities, more uh, endpoints in our society that can be threatened by cybersecurity attacks. We have a geopolitical landscape. Russia, not to mention it, uh, to mention Russia, you know, have really increased their cybersecurity attacks as well since the war in Ukraine started. So I think there are so many drivers that make this industry interesting so have a look at that uh, equity note we wrote yesterday and and follow CrowdStrike if you if you think this is interesting um CrowdStrike is up three percent in in pre-market trading so a positive response there from investors to that news okay the final topic we're going to talk about is charlie munger investing and businesses i think charlie munger is um it's a remarkable person because and Thank God he 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 met uh, Warren Buffett because he he was the one that actually convinced Warren Buffett that it was better to to pay a, a fair price for for a, a, a wonderful a wonderful business than a, a you know a low price for a, for a, for a fair business. Um, so Warren Buffett was educated and mentored by Benjamin Graham, which was the father of Deep Value. Had its had, you know. Benjamin Graham got his scars during the, the depression and the meltdown after the uh, the stock market crash in in 1929, and he tried to invent quantitative methods for dealing with investing in in equities. Which, you know, hats off to that. And Benjamin Graham, uh, in his own right, was a you know phenomenal person. But as you know, time progressed, equity as an asset class changed, and when we got to the 1960s you had an increasing amount of equity IPOs coming in the U.S. that was no longer, you know, 
it was basically IPOs that seeked uh, growth capital for the first time. Normally, you you would not do a floating to get growth capital. That was not it was completely unheard of back then. But during the 1960s, which was also called the go-go years, the equity market in the U.S. changed completely. Many more companies went public. They wanted to have they wanted to have growth capital to expand uh, nationally um, across the states in the U.S. Some of them also became uh, over time international in their footprint, and you know the rest is history. And Warren Buffett was so he was so deep into this deep value mindset. But when he met Charlie Munger, Charlie Munger basically convinced him, we need to find fantastic businesses with you know, a, a great mode. And Sarah Lee, this, um, I think this, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a candy, candy manufacturer on the West coast was really the first business that uh, the Charlie Munger convinced Warren Buffett to buy. It has been phenomenal. It opened his eyes and actually led to Warren Buffett later on acquiring uh, shares in, in Coca-Cola. And I think it was really the, the high inflationary period of the 1970s that really convinced Warren Buffett that, okay, you have, you know, two major threats to businesses. You have inflation because it's a tax uh, on capital, which is consumed by companies that wants to that want to grow. And then, um, so that's the one thing. And then the other the other threat to any business is competition. And in a capitalistic competitive marketplace, there is always going to be uh, losers, even among those that were previously the big winners. And um, so that's also why, even though it's very difficult to to fathom today, you know the, the the largest technology companies that we 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 know today, you know, our uh, Amazon, our Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple are not necessarily the biggest companies. When we when we look ten years, twenty years, thirty years into the future, it could be something very different. And we have talked about that in the Saxo Strats team. That you know, this is the century of biology, and some of the things that are happening around, you know, cancer treatments uh, lately, weight loss drugs uh, attacking the um, the epidemic we have in obesity um it can be gene editing etc i mean that it's very likely that some biotechnology companies can become some of the largest companies in the world even eclipsing the technology companies because they they potentially solve uh, an even larger problem than you know uh, what the technology companies are um are solving so back to charlie munger so he he convinced uh, Warren Buffett of these uh, moat type moat type businesses uh, with a durable, as he said, competitive advantage. And one of the key ideas to understand a competitive advantage. So, so first of all, one of the one of the first beacons when you're looking at a company to get an, an idea or insight of whether this company is good or not is you know you're judging it from its revenue growth. What is the revenue growth, and especially what is the revenue growth profile relative to the industry? Is this a company that can you know maintain or even expand uh, market share? And it's it's probably one of the better predictors of future returns. But there is a caveat because if a company is growing its revenue and its return on invested capital is not above its cost of capital, it's actually destroying shareholder value. It doesn't make any sense to grow a company if you haven't fixed the basics. In other in other words, set up a business that has a return on its capital that is above the cost of capital. It's actually quite a simple idea. It's very powerful, yet there are so many businesses and management teams out there in the world that are sorry to be so cynical, extremely horrible at running their businesses. And they they forget this this uh, this very, you know, it's, it's a wisdom. If you haven't created a positive, what is called a capital spread, you should not prioritize growth because something is wrong. Then, of course, there are the exceptions to the rule. 
that some of these companies, some of the com- technology companies we have seen over the years, where you, if you do what is called a, a unit economic metric, you can actually see it's positive, but you have to front load so much R&D and marketing expenses to get to critical mass that you will have a, a runway of uh, steep losses until you get to that break-even point. It's uh, an idea that has been championed by the Silicon Valley. It had, has worked uh, tremendously, but as a company reaches a certain level, you do have to deliver those uh, that positive capital spread, and then uh, otherwise growth doesn't make any sense to prioritize. Essentially, and I think Warren Buffett, uh, sorry, Charlie Munger, coming back to Charlie Munger, um, said a wonderful quote, every time I hear the word EBDA, uh, I think about uh, I think about bullshit basically. And the, what he means about that is that EBDA is not a number that says anything about a business per se. It's an accounting metric that can, in some special cases, be a proxy for the cash flow generation of a business. But the cash flow generation of a business doesn't really make any sense without taking into account what is the net. What is the net investments needed by the business to one, just sustain the business at its current activity level, and two, even expand it? And when you when you account for that, you get to a concept called free cash flow, and ultimately, that is what drives the value of any company in the entire world and the valuation. It is the free cash flow generation. So. Um, that's and that's what Charlie Munger has always been focused on, and that's why what he wants to see uh, Charlie Munger in. A, that's another very key characteristics I think of a very uh, great business is so you have a return on invested capital that is above the cost of capital, but then also can you expand the business with a limited net investment into the business? Those type of businesses are super interesting, and it's. Um, it should actually be a springboard for me to to write some uh, some research notes on on, on these topics uh, for next year. It's a, it's a, it's very fascinating topics actually to to talk about. So I hope that uh, gave you some uh, some flavor into um, to the insights of, uh, of 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 Charlie Munger, the late Charlie Munger now, uh, but also yeah how how our businesses one should be run and what you should as an investor be looking for. So that was the the three topics today. So. Um, we have potentially the world's uh, highest, or the, sorry, the history's highest in the, uh, index concentration in the S&P 500. It comes with a lot of uh, risk. Pay attention to those. CrowdStrike earnings better than expected. The cybersecurity industry is still roaring ahead. It's really uh, an industry we are, a theme we are very bullish on uh, long term. Look into it. I find it very fascinating. So many good drivers. And then finally, Learn the lessons of Charlie Munger. Read some book about his ideas. Uh, think about concepts like return on invested capital, cost of capital, revenue growth, moat type businesses, and companies that don't have to reinvest so much net uh, investments into the business to grow it. Those are some of the characteristics of a high quality company. And I think that ends the podcast for today. And uh, well, thank you for listening. We'll be back with another podcast on equities next week. Thank you.